Today's program is brought to you by Nutrislice, helping school nutrition programs who want to do a little more with their marketing communications. For more information, visit Nutrislice.com. Hi, this is Celia Kutcher, host of Animal Instinct, and you are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Inside School Food, the podcast for people working in K through 12 nutrition and anyone else who wants to learn from insiders. I'm Laura Stanley. Um, today we are going to be wading into some new territory with the help of the amazing chef Lisa Feldman, who is director of culinary services for Sedexo USA. Sedexo is a vast international company providing both food services and facility management. In U.S. school food service, their presence is not vast, but it's plenty big. And it's significant and influential in ways you may never have imagined. Um, Certainly, I had no idea until I met Lisa. Um, She's with me in the studio today to share with you what she shared with me and some I suspect I always learn something new when I talk to Lisa. So Lisa Feldman, welcome to Bushwick, Brooklyn. Thank you. Um, so just to set the stage, um, let's establish what the presence of food service management companies is in public schools. Um, 20% of all district districts enrolled in USDA school meals programs employ an outside uh, food service provider. And out of that, Sodexo has a share of about 7%, right? 7% for the whole market, right. the whole school's market. Yeah, okay. Oh, for the whole school's market, yep. sorry. Okay, all right. So what that amounts to is um, 413 districts in 34 states and roughly 2 million meals daily. Um, <laughs> that's a lot of food. And and you, Lisa, lead menu and product development, not just for the K-12 through division, but five others, all non-retail. So uh, briefly, tell us what you do. Um. Essentially, what I what I do is I help develop products for all of our markets and recipes and and menus. Mm-hmm. Um, I just try to create delicious food that people want to eat. Right, right. Um, so you you are um, you know a professional, a CIA trained chef who still works in a white coat most of the time, or some of the time. Most of the time, yeah. So are you still actually you know behind the stoves in your pr- current? you know, capacity is kind of leading up all this stuff? Um, anytime I do recipe development, yeah, we go into a test kitchen. We have a test kitchen at our corporate headquarters, and I roll up my white coat sleeves and go to work and test our recipes. Yeah, great, great. Um, and what, so I met you in San Antonio at the CIA Healthy Flavors Healthy Kid Conference, and that's when I knew I really had to have you on the show. And what, what was startled me, one of the first things you said to me when we spoke was, your work at Sodexo, your creative work, is non-proprietary. And I had to wait a few beats to absorb that, and then you kind of unpacked it for me. So explain what you meant by that. So we're a, a large corporation. Um, we have contracts with a number of vendors and, and just influence with a number of vendors. And <clears throat> typically when, when you have 
that amount of influence, you're able to impact the development of a product. Um, when we do that, we don't like to make those products proprietary, especially for schools, um, because we feel that if we're able to create something that is better for you for a child, that any school district in the uh, country should have access to that product. So it's not, it doesn't benefit Sodexo to have any kind of trade secrets in terms of products that you use or even recipes? No, actually, conversely, it hurts us because we want to be out there as the recognized leader for development. Yeah. If nobody knows that we're doing that development, that's not very helpful. Um, and honestly, when we go to, to market, I mean, we're being in, invited into bid on school districts that want help running their school service program. Mm-hmm. 80% of the market is able to function on their own, and there's no reason that they shouldn't benefit from those products. Um, in fact, we actually even work across, I wouldn't consider them to be enemy lines, but competitor lines mm-hmm. to look at products that are better for kids because, honestly, it helps with distribution. It helps um, with training the palates of kids mm-hmm. to be looking for, for better food. There's just a lot of really good reasons why development should be non-proprietary. Right. And when you say that 80% on their own, you're referring to self-ops. So Correct. the materials you develop are available to them, as well as to the likes of Chartwells and Aramark and, you know. Yeah, absolutely. It's out there. Anybody yeah. in school food service, when we create programs with vendors or vendor products, uh, those products are available to anybody in school food service. And so the other thing that you said to me, which... Again, I had to, you know, kind of absorb. I was so surprised. Was you said that when say you say you, you and some, a few other food service management companies are competing for um, a district's business, you're not competing on the basis of, of the quality of the food, and that's a reason why it's okay to be sharing. How do you compete with say Chartwells? Um, it's really about the entire program that you're offering that mm-hmm. has a lot of parts and pieces. And food is a piece of that, but there's never an occasion where I go up against the culinary development person from Chartwells and we go to head-to-head and cook spaghetti and meatballs. Like, that mm-hmm. would never happen. Um, at the end of the day, it's really about efficiency and, and dollars and how many, many dollars you're going to bring to that school's bottom line yeah. uh, to make their food service either break even or be profitable. Um, and honestly, a lot of our offer is is similar in terms of the food products. It's the marketing pieces that are very, very different. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess that made me a little sad, though, that you weren't doing like cook-offs for the school board or something. It just seems like they should know about that. Um, you, you talked about um, product development with processors. Um, and, and since you're serving such a huge part of the market, you have relationships with really big companies that are in the K-12 market. How do you work with them to get what you need that, you know, what kids will eat and that's in compliance? And you've been very active, especially since the introduction of Healthy Hunger Free Kids. Um, Well, typically, when a large company is developing product for schools, they don't necessarily have the insider expertise in schools to figure out how to to create a product that a kid is really going to like, Mm. Um, especially if they're creating a better for you product that that a kid is going to like. And so... Um, For instance, when we transferred most of our products to become whole grain rich, um, there were a lot of factors that had to be taken into consideration. It wasn't really just a matter of saying, okay, well, instead of making this formulation that was formerly white flour, whole grain flour, um, we actually have to to think about the the qualities, the eating qualities of that product. And so um, typically what we do is a lot of of trial and error. We um, interact with... Uh, the vendor community and start to talk about the products that that we need. And then we have them 
basically go into their test kitchens or uh, uh, to their consulting parties, whoever it is that's creating that product, and start making bench samples. I mean, mm-hmm. just like we would in a, in a typical kitchen. Right. Um, but we also have to be able to speak the language um, of manufacturing, too, to understand that when you make a change in formulation, it's going to impact a whole number of things that have to be considered. And so um, that's a very important piece of the dialogue that that has to be taken into consideration. We can't just like wave a magic wand and just say, create this for us and it should be yeah. zero cost impact. Yeah. So you and your staff really need to understand manufacturing, you know, and it's, 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 there's so much to know. Um, and I know you've worked with, um, you know, let, I mean, let's talk about some of the companies that you've worked with and what's come out of that. Um, when we spoke earlier, you said there was a partnership with Kikoman that was quite interesting. Yeah, actually that's a, uh, our partnership with Kikamon has gone back uh, quite a while, mm. but in terms of school development, that's relatively new. And that actually um, came out of an opportunity through CIA where we had been talking to Kikamon about reducing the amount of sodium in their sauces because I really believe that really good sauces are the linchpin to removing a lot of the breading from a lot of the protein products that you see, see in school food service. A lot of the reason that kids typically shy away from things that aren't breaded is because they don't taste very good. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially given that a lot of our proteins are pre-cooked and you really need to add an element of moisture back to them Mm -hmm. in order for them to be flavorful. And Asian sauces seem like a good gateway to try and get over that that bridge of looking at unbreaded proteins um, that are more natural. And so we started to have a dialogue about how do we get there. Um, And I went to Kikaban and said... You have all of these flavor components at your disposal. Sodium is not the only one. How about if we get the sodium levels down? And actually, when we started talking about formulation, the first email I sent out to ask about how we would get there and what the threshold needed to be Mm -hmm. and what should and shouldn't be in that formulation was Ann Cooper. Mm -hmm. So we do reach across the aisles to to Mm self-ops, to have meaningful conversations about how to develop a product and really what that product needs to be. And then the second email I sent out was actually to Chartwells, Ah. who's one of our main competitors, because again, that product, once it comes out, has to be purchased in order to be made. Mm -hmm. So we needed to look at who in the market had a lot of buying power to lift that product into distribution, Mm -hmm. and then we could release it to the rest of the market. And so we are at the point where we've seen, I think this is the third version of Bench Samples, uh, product is really, really excellent. You don't even know that the sodium was reduced out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, when the sodium level came down, you started to really be able to taste all of the other elements of that sauce that are really wonderful. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, soy sauce is umami rich, among other things, um, which can go a long way in sort of helping kids not miss the sodium. Right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you're you're talking umami components, acid. Um, sweetness to a degree. There's all these other flavor components in there that are really the basis of that sauce. It's not really sodium. Right. And then I know you had a lot of uh, success with rich products in developing a pizza crust, but it it, you know, it didn't come easily or right away. And there's a story there. No. Actually, we (laughs) lovingly referred to it as uh, Pizzagate. Um, We very early in the process, even I think before um, the Healthy uh, Hunger Free Kids Act was released when we knew that it was sort of on the cusp of mm-hmm. of being out there. I had an internal dialogue about moving our pizza crust to become 51% whole grain. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And we really wanted to take some ingredients out of it that we didn't really feel were adding to that pizza crust that maybe were artificial and go for something that was a little bit more natural. Mm -hmm. So we asked them to create an all-natural pizza crust, which they did. They did a phenomenal job. Pizza crust was great. It was slightly aged. I mean, it really is a nice pizza crust. The issue was that it functioned completely differently from white flour. So when you took it out of the freezer, it was a frozen, pre-sheeted dough, it took probably twice the amount of time to rise. Mm -hmm. And if you didn't let it rise and you put it in the oven, it just was really not a great product. Um, When handled correctly, it was perfect. But again, we are in... 413 school districts to have somebody go to 413 school districts and train them how to handle pizza crust is extremely cumbersome. And um, we actually had to go back to formulation and change the formula just a tiny little bit. It actually took a couple of years to to really get it right um, to get a little bit more of a lift in the dough when it first proofs. So Mm It was, a, it was a major undertaking. It didn't seem like it would be that big of a deal, but it turned out to be a very big deal. Yeah, yeah. So a few years. I, I had no idea. That's really interesting. And then, and then you worked with ConAgra on the whole wheat pasta problem, which comes up a lot on this show. Yeah, actually, that was a really cool collaboration. Mm-hmm. Um, I sort of accidentally ran into one of their R&D people at a trade conference that turned out to be a trade conference that was sort of way over my head in terms mm-hmm. of, I mean, I, they were talking about flavor compounds and all kinds of things that I don't really deal with. And mm-hmm. then I ran into Don Truba, actually, from ConAgra, um, who was sitting at a table alone and started <laughs> having a dialogue with him about why whole grain pasta for schools doesn't function at all, and the kids just don't eat it. The minute you go from a regular formulation to whole wheat, your pasta consumption drops by, like, 75%. So we really started to talk about, like, how you make pasta, how you develop gluten structures. Um, And we ultimately ended up using a formulation that's used for retort. Um, Mm -hmm. So if you are making canned soup um, and you're putting pasta in that, that's sitting in a liquid medium for a really long time, uh, typically they'll add egg white. Ah, So when you add egg white to pasta, it creates a cell structure that allows it to hold for a little bit longer in a liquid medium. Mm -hmm. So we played with all different... uh, types of, of egg, well, percentages of, of egg white right. within the pasta to develop the gluten structure and ultimately came out with something that was pretty amazing. And it was it was a natural solution, it sounds like. Yeah. I mean, egg white is, I mean, it's a lot white. of our pasta have, has eggs anyway. Yeah. Um, egg white, obviously, is as pretty natural as you can get as an right. addition. So this stuff is holding, so, you know, obviously the problem with, with whole wheat pasta up to now has been that it doesn't hold well. Um, and this holds because of this... You know, exactly. This little twist in the in the formulation. It's so interesting, and I know that you you've also told me that in working with major processors on reformulation, you're really pushing for what we call clean label, even though we're not really sure what that means. Um, you know, tell us, you know, what you're pushing for and how that definition keeps kind of evading you. I don't know that anyone really agrees on what clean label is. No, they don't. (laughs) Um, What we try and look at is, did that product come from a natural source? Mm -hmm. So if it's a dough conditioner, let's say, at some point along the line, did it originate as food and then maybe get altered to turn into something that is functional? Um, And we're kind of in the middle of 
developing almost like a no-nos list Mm -hmm. of things that we really don't want in our food because it doesn't serve a functional purpose. Um, And honestly, I've been reaching again across the aisles to different companies like Panera to say, you know, what does your list look like? How did you get there? Um, Rich Foods is another one. They've been very actively looking at a list of things that they just don't want in their food Mm -hmm. um, because of the negative connotation or maybe there's a health concern, possibly things Mm -hmm. like caramel color where we don't really know um, if it's good for you or not. Mm-hmm. And why are we making things caramel colored? We don't really know. Yeah. Um, and then looking at, okay, well, if we take that ingredient out that may serve a function within, you know, a, a formulation, how do we replace it with something natural that is going to function similarly? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to get, I want to say more about that, but let's let's pause for a quick station break, um, and when we come back, let's talk a little bit more about natural formulations and um, basically hacking into uh, you know traditional formulations of things like pizza crust and so forth to make things healthier. Um, so, uh, folks, you're listening to a conversation with Sodexo USA's chef Lisa Feldman. You're listening to Inside School Food. Stay with us. Today's program was brought to you by Nutrislice. Nutrislice wants to see you succeed. They help school nutrition programs who want to do a little more with their marketing communications. Nutrislice is all about helping people increase their nutrition IQ. Their products are designed to engage, educate, and inspire greater levels of personal wellness. Whether you're interested in communicating the virtues of your nutrition program, upping your game in the fight against childhood obesity, saving money, or becoming more innovative, Nutrislice has the tools for you. They can help you reduce food waste by getting kids excited about eating healthy foods. Is your program serving healthy foods but not getting the credit it deserves? Nutrislice can help you communicate all the great things you're doing to parents, students, school administrators, and the community. They can also help you gain critical customer insights to your business. They've worked with the most innovative school nutrition programs in the country, big and small, and their experience speaks for itself. Get in touch today to see what Nutrislice can do for you. That's Nutrislice.com. If I had a magic wand, tomorrow everyone in the world would have enough food to eat that was culturally appropriate and delicious. The planet would be thriving because all the food would have been grown and produced in a way that sustains us, both our bodies and our, our world. But man, I do not have a magic wand. What I do have is you and this radio station, the Heritage Radio Network. That's what we're here to do. We're here to help lead the way to a future that's more delicious, that's more fun, where we're healthier, where the planet's healthier, and we want you to be a part of that. We can't do it without you. As a nonprofit radio station, we depend on the support of our listeners. So take a minute out of your day, visit the website, and click the Big Beating Donate tab. Throw us a few bucks. Every bit helps. We're counting on you. Welcome back. Today on Inside School Food, we're exploring what goes on behind the scenes in the most creative sector of Sodexo K-12 through 
12 Food Service Management. This is where people are testing new strategies to introduce ever fresher, more appealing food to school menus on a mass scale. The challenges introduced by the Healthy Hunger Free Kids Act have energized culinarians like my guest, Chef Lisa Feldman, who has led culinary development for schools at Sodexo, sorry, Sodexo, <laughs> for t- uh, 15 years. She has a big brain for this kind of work. And Lisa, you always sound to me like you're having fun. I am always having fun. Yeah. yeah. I play with food for a living. It's fun. I know. I know. I, I had this idea of you in this sort of like big playpen of a kitchen, just thinking up stuff. So, which leads to my next question. You, you talked about hacks um, of, of traditional uh, formulations of certain kinds of processed foods to make them um, healthier, more natural, and more compliant with the current um, regulations for, for school food. So um, I wonder if you could describe a few of them. Um, my biggest hack, actually, in terms of, and really not formulation so much as recipe development Mm -hmm. is the use of crushed tomatoes no sodium added crushed tomatoes for virtually everything i mean maybe not everything everything but a lot of things Mm -hmm. um in fact i was actually and and i i think one of my greatest abilities is to see things and then steal them uh within our operation so if i'm touring an operation i see somebody doing something particularly amazing i will be the first person to get in line to to take that i will give the person credit of course but Mm -hmm. you know um, if it's a great idea, there's no reason you couldn't, uh, you know, maybe borrow it and, and turn it into something bigger. I think borrow's a nicer yeah. word. <laughs> yeah, perhaps so. Um, I was touring uh, our facility in uh, Salem, Oregon. Um, we uh, do the food service for, for uh, Salem-Kaiser School District. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a very, very big commissary, and I saw them opening cans of crushed tomatoes. They were actually USDA crushed tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Um and putting them into a giant vat, and I could not figure out for the life of me what they were doing until I realized they were making salsa out of them. And they made the most delicious salsa, um, short of perhaps, you know, making your own pico de gallo at home. Mm-hmm. It was fresh. It was delicious. Um, it was just really, really good. And so um, it's actually another uh, ConAgra partnership. We went to them and said, could we possibly get a crushed tomato that has no sodium added? Mm-hmm. And they said, Sure. Absolutely. And interestingly, we, we cut them against regular crushed tomatoes. And the most amazing thing about the uh, no sodium added ones was that they tasted like tomato. Yeah. So we have made um, a number, uh, created a number of salsa recipes that we use in our operations that are right. just very, very, very simple. Right. You did a demonstration at the CIA conference called Five Salsas in 10 Minutes. It was actually 10 salsas in 10 minutes. Oh, oh it was 10. And you did it. It was amazing. Can you remember what some of the recipes were? Um, yeah, we did. So we started with a very basic salsa. And mm-hmm. then using commodity fruit, um, I made one uh, that was called Cherry Bomb. Mm-hmm. Uh, I made a Southwestern style that had beans and corn. Um, we made more of a kind of a deep, dark, chili one that had um, ancho and... Uh, chipotle chili in it. Mm. I can't remember all 10 off the top of my head, but I know there was peach. Um, yeah, the peach several one was good. <laughs> fruit flavors. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and the formulation, I mean, it lends itself very, very well to take on different spices, different fruits. It's just a very yeah. good yeah. basic thing. So that's not so much a hack as it is a really ingenious um, scratch cooking shortcut. 
you know, using commodity ingredients. So you do a lot of that in your recipe development Yeah, process. a lot of that, actually. Yeah, yeah. And then the hacks, um, you talked to me about some really wacky stuff like um, experimenting with bean flour in pizza crust. Oh, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. if we want to talk hacks, um, we've actually been trying to figure out how to make a more all-natural pizza, but take the saturated fat down so that it would qualify for smart, uh, smart snacks, mm-hmm. um, which is really hard because cheese just has a lot of saturated fat. And we didn't want to add fake cheese in because why would you do that? So you wanted to keep the we cheese. We wanted to keep the cheese. We yeah. wanted it to be a cheesy pizza, but maybe not so have so much cheese on it. But we also wanted it to be served um, through the uh, <clears throat> school lunch program and have it be creditable. Mm-hmm. So we needed to hit a two-meat alternate. And this is something that's still, I mean, at its infantile stages with, mm-hmm. with playing in terms of playing with it. But we started to talk about using beans as a medium to increase protein. So mm-hmm. taking bean flour um, and enhancing the crust with bean flour to create um, a source of additional protein or making a um, almost like a, a hummus, like a white bean hummus that would be relatively... Not flavorless. I mean, it would have a little bit of, of flavor in there, but then masking um, the flavor of the beans with roasted garlic, mm-hmm. um, using that as a base underneath the sauce so that you've got this creamy white, you know, it could look almost like ricotta cheese, mm-hmm. um, and then regular shredded mozzarella on top that, that would uh, give you a product that was delicious and enhanced with beans. Right, right. So you really are thinking out of the box with this this kind of stuff. Um, you also are very excited about... Um, introducing mushroom into ground meat to make a mushroom burger. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, actually, that was really exciting. We've uh, just switched all of our burger formulations for um, all of our school districts over to a 75-25% mushroom blend, 25% mushroom, Mm -hmm. 75% meat. Um, And we had, again, make sure that the burger was creditable for school lunch. But... um, one of the most exciting things is that when I introduced this idea to our company, I kept expecting them to say, you're insane. Um, <laughs> and they did. And then they were like, but maybe that's not such a terrible idea, but let's let's test it. Um, and so we actually went into a high school uh, with the Mushroom Council and had a burger fest um, and actually switched not only the burgers, but also meatballs and our taco meat over to a mushroom formulation. Mm-hmm. And we told them that there was mushroom in the burgers. And the kids were so excited that they started tweeting about how they had had this oh, mushroom yeah. fest. You didn't have to disguise them. No. Yeah. Um, and we had, we actually had dueling taco stations mm-hmm. where one of the taco stations had um, ground beef and the other one had a meat mushroom blend. Mm-hmm. The meat mushroom blend outsold the regular taco station by like 100%. It was pretty great. So um, <clears throat> when we rolled our burgers out, you know, again, we, we were sensitive to the fact that we're feeding kids and we really want to know what they have to say. And we did a um, test across, it was either 14 or 16 different school districts, and we got an 85% approval rating for the product. And of the kids that tried the burger, almost 100% of them said that they would rather eat that burger than the previous formulation. So interesting. Well, I, I did sample some um, products, comparable products at the CIA conference. They were um, mainly, they were like different kinds of meatballs. And they were very 
umami rich mm-hmm. and they were very juicy. Right. And there were there were no ingredients in there for you know like artificial ingredients for moisture retention. The, the mushrooms were doing the job. Yeah. Are you able to accomplish that with these um, hamburgers? Yeah. Actually, one of the cool things about these hamburgers is we, we typically for elementary schools, and this is not just true for Sodexo, but across the country. A lot of our school district satellites, so they might have a central kitchen somewhere or they're cooking in a high school for an elementary school. Um, and when you ship food and you hold it for a long period of time, it has a tendency to dry out. Mm-hmm. Um, mushrooms are naturally hydrophilic. So rather than all of the um, moisture in the burger leaving the burger, it actually is absorbed by the mushrooms. Mm-hmm. And so that's why the kids liked them so much. They were just really juicy. We actually held them for five or six hours. Not that I would recommend doing that, but... Yeah. They they stayed nice yeah, and juicy. Yeah, and the kids can have a bigger burger because the the meat gets you know kind of spread exactly. Out you so get, you get, so you nice get that sensation coverage. of that. Like yeah, this is not like a shrunken burger. It's like a good size burger, right? And because of the mushroom flavor in there, it is very umami rich. So when you bite into it, you feel like you're biting into a delicious burger. Yeah, yeah, it's very exciting. So that's in all of the schools you serve now, and it's Correct. available to the K through twelve uh, nutrition industry nationwide yeah it's a it's a commercially available product it's not uh, specifically a sodexo product awesome yeah and then and then you you talked earlier on when we, put, when we talked about this summer you said something about replacing certain artificial flavorings you mentioned fermented rye as one of the elements that comes up in products um yeah for pizza crust yeah um that's okay. something that we've played around with quite a bit because you get this nice umami punch um and you're not adding anything crazy yeah and no sodium extra so that that helps with the sodium um so we talked a little bit about um kitchen work um the 10 salsas in 10 minutes um you also have developed um these is it rice bowls with products from indian harvest so it's sort of a combination of recipe development and collaboration with Mm -hmm. a company that was interesting can you tell us about that one yeah um we actually developed a chirashi uh sushi bowl basically it was Mm -hmm. more of a vegetarian version of of a sushi bowl Mm -hmm. um where uh we used a warm vinegared rice who actually collaborated with colleen donnelly who Mm is uh the k-12 specialist for indian harvest and Mm -hmm. Um, featured that as a limited time offer. Um, one of the things we like to do with our limited time offers is make sure that they're culturally appropriate. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we have, you know, the gambit of things that you would expect to see on a school lunch menu, but then we like to kind of uh, stray off the path and yeah. make sure that we have things that, um, depending on what your culture is, look look and taste familiar. Um, and also, if they don't look and taste familiar, educate the kids that are that are trying them for the first time. Which right, is pretty cool. right, right. So Indian harvest rice blends, are, of course, are all whole grain. Yep. Um, so when you say culturally appropriate, what students were you reaching out to with that recipe? Um, more Asian students who might have been, yeah. you know, seeing that in in their homes or mm-hmm. um, when they went out to a restaurant, but also sort of educating the kids that had never seen that before right, to right, right, start right. to look at it and enjoy it yeah um and i also i think i think you're very proud of your um so-called ranch dressing made with greek yogurt and beans um and you're you that was that was actually written up in the new york times and i posted it on today's show page so i have to mention that one that was a good one yeah that was actually um as i said i like to borrow things mm-hmm. and i was sitting in the audience watching gold uh joyce goldstein do a demo one time mm-hmm. she made this amazing caesar dressing and she was like well you know I was just kind of wondering how this would taste if I used white beans in it instead of a lot of olive oil to create an emulsion and egg. And I thought, that's going to be horrible. Um, 
I just I don't see where you're going with that. Yeah, I, I can see you thinking that. Yeah. And then I tried it, and it was delicious. Yeah. So I was asked to do a demo. That was actually my first you know, X product and X minutes demo for CIA. And they said, what if you did 10 dressings in 10 minutes? And I was like, that could be kind of interesting. Uh-huh. So I developed this white bean dressing that was uh, Greek yogurt based with uh, emulsified white beans and garlic, um, and then created 10 spins off of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and actually, uh, again, in the spirit of borrowing, Truett Brothers now makes a white bean dip. That's true. And that's delicious, too. Yeah. So, yeah, we're all, all borrowing. Speaking of borrowing, um, you're very big on these so-called flavor stations, and you're working with McCormick on that. Um, but you you ripped that off from Jessica Shelley, who is food service director in Cincinnati. Yep. Tell, tell us what a flavor station is. So the flavor stations are... Essentially, uh, four to five different spice blends, uh, McCormick seasonings. We've been uh, playing a lot with the uh, Touch of Sea Salt ones, Mm -hmm. and they have some really amazing blends. Um, And we were noticing that as the regulations changed and mandated that each kid coming through the line take a half cup of fruit or vegetable, they were taking the half cup of fruit or vegetable, and then it was going in the garbage. Mm -hmm. So that's not really nutrition. It's not nutrition if you're not eating it. And we thought, okay, well, how are we going to create some sort of intervention, some sort of behavioral economics solution to get the kids to to try them? And a very simple solution is flavor. So I was reading, I don't even know um, what uh, publication, but Jessica Shelley had been talking about these flavor stations, and I Mm -hmm. was like, that's brilliant. So I reached out to McCormick and said, could you create a custom rack Mm -hmm. um, that's branded? that could be mounted at the end of the line so that as kids were coming down the line, they're able to take their green beans and make them lemon pepper green beans or Mexican green beans or uh, Asian green beans. And yeah, and it, which gives them that sense of ownership, which they really need. Um, and when you tell a kid they have to take a, a vegetable, they can be resistant because they don't like being told what to do, especially if they're teenagers. So right. it gives it back to them. It's, exactly. it's, it's ingenious. Yeah. Um, so again, flavor stations are spreading all over the country, and some of them are created um, by self-ops, and some of them are McCormick at a Sodexo uh, school, but it's it's a big idea. I, I wanted to finish up by talking about some really really interesting work um, that you have been doing for quite some time with the CIA. Um, tell us about the Healthy Menus Collaborative. So the Healthy Menus Collaborative was developed probably five or six years ago um, <clears throat> by the CIA, and actually in collaboration with the Mushroom Council, mm-hmm. and really. It was developed to start talking about public health and what we as food service operators could do to influence uh, creating better public health. And so uh, we get together, there are about 30 to 35 members, all chefs from major companies, not only um, food service management, but also fast casual. Mm -hmm. Um, And we get in the room and we have what I think is very meaningful dialogue about how to influence the food chain. Mm-hmm. Um, and that actually is where the blend burger came out of. We um, started to talk about uh, reducing the amount of meat in, in a, in a protein application. Mm-hmm. Mushroom is a natural solution. And from there um, we went, started to go to companies to see if it could be created. And yeah, yeah. Now we have a mushroom burger in all of our schools. Yeah. Yeah. And do you have some companies um, involved in, in the uh, collaborative also? 
Um, yeah, there are a number of companies involved in yeah. the collaborative. Mm-hmm. They, um, it, there's also uh, uh, different growers that, that mm-hmm. get involved, and um, the sponsors have switched in and out. Um, Mushroom Council has been uh, very, very involved. Alaskan Seafood Marketing Institute, we did a really cool thing with them. Mm-hmm. about a year ago that is running in all of our schools now. Oh, I'm glad you mentioned that because I forgot to ask you. And um, this is the, um, it's the the Pollock project yeah. that you've been involved with. Yeah. Um, you've produced a beautiful cookbook, um, which was you know developed for your schools. And again, it's available online for everybody. And it makes using Alaska Pollock easy. Um, so, and there's, I actually posted that on today's show page too. Um, so the, so the healthy menus collaborative is also an opportunity for, for processors or companies to start talking to each other and kind of co-development of product, right? Um, yeah. And actually what, what sometimes happens is you'll make a connection through Mm -hmm. healthy menus collaborative and then realize that there might be an opportunity for another vendor who is not part of HMC mm-hmm. to start talking to that vendor across company lines. So yeah. to put together people like McCain, when you're looking at uh, potato products and getting kids to eat more sweet potatoes, mm-hmm. um, again, not a sponsor of HMC, but McCormick is. Um, and then to, to have them co-develop uh, strategies like taking the cinnamon chipotle blend that McCormick makes and pairing it with sweet potato products. All right. Um, yeah. And in fact, I, I've used that across all yeah. of our divisions. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, this, it's the, the talking is so important. And and the really exciting news here is that um, the Culinary Institute is now launching um, the Healthy Kids Collaborative, which is sem- essentially the same idea, except the focus is solely on K through 12. Correct. Right? Yeah, yeah. And and what they told me, that it's going to be kind of the same mix of people, except they're all K through 12, so directors and chefs, food service management companies, um new different consultants from from school uh, uh, nutrition and companies and organizations um, that are involved and can provide financial support for the initiative. And um, they told me they're involving both large and small districts, which is quite interesting. So, um, and you'll be all over that, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. We're, uh, it's been a long time coming. We've been talking about it for, for quite a while. Basically, since HMC started, we started to talk about having a kids version of the collaborative right, um, right. where where we could really could make some uh, meaningful change because honestly I think with all those people in a room really talking about how school food service functions what the barriers are and really what people think may be barriers but aren't mm-hmm. um, there's going to be some amazing products that roll out right so as that a result. that begins in early December so mm-hmm. it's about to start so yeah. um I am really looking ahead to finding out, you know, how that goes. And I will be um, hopefully getting you back to talk about it once it's up and running and we have real outcomes to talk about. Yeah, so that'd be great. really exciting. Um, so you've been listening to Inside School Food and many thanks to Sodexo USA's Lisa Feldman for coming to the studio today. Um, Lisa, you have lifted a lot of curtains for us. So it's been pretty fascinating. Thanks so much. Um, as always, uh, resource links are, are posted on today's show page. Um, and remember, if you are enjoying the show, please let us know by following us on Twitter or on Facebook or by signing up for our newsletter on InsideSchoolFood.com. It's extremely helpful to us and to our corporate supporters to know who is listening. Uh, today's uh, break song was by the California Honey Drops. Um, the Inside School Food theme song is by Taxstar. And I am Laura Stanley. Thank you for listening. 
for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.